Welcome back to the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. My name's Matt Pfeiffer. And I'm Kevin Matter. <sighs> Kevin's here. Yeah. Kevin made it into the bumper. In the bumper now. <laughs> uh, so we're both here talking about the conversation that we just had that we're really, really humbled by. Um, we just spoke with Bartholomew Jones yes. from Coffee Black. Coffee Black in Memphis, Tennessee. What? What an inspiring, amazing human being he is. Yeah, yeah. First of all, for sure. Um, Bartholomew's mission in Coffee Black is to take back the narrative that is coffee of coffee for his community and create generational wealth. Yeah. Boom. Got it. Hey, what's in our mug? Right now. What is in our mug today? Well, um, in celebration of Coffee Black's Guji Main coffee, um, which is a it's an Ethiopian coffee from the Guji region. We tried to drink it last night, but he was putting together a swing for his kids. Yeah, and we were like, let's reschedule because you need family time. That's way more important than us. Yes. And we caught up with him today uh, when you didn't bring the Guji Main, which made me sad. But I, I did up. have an Ethiopian coffee from Peaks coffee company um this is gute sodu so mm -hmm. gute, gute sodu sodu yeah um it's delicious we drank it all up super fast uh but like many ethiopian um coffees that are lighter roasted it has really intense um fruit notes to it yeah with it leans a nice into floral. the berry yeah, oh yeah leans into the floral oh yeah for sure what i love about those coffees is they just they, they don't linger on the palate, right? It's a lighter viscosity, I think, yeah, um, with a nice acidity, but it doesn't leave any sort of a bitterness in the back of your mouth, which mm -hmm. a lot of a uh, lot of older wave coffees tend to do that. I'd agree, for sure. And we're all about that third wave that we're currently a part of. We're a part of the no wave, my dear. We're part of the no wave. Yeah, no wave Yo, coffee. Here, here's a question. What's up? What if the fourth wave of coffee isn't necessarily like a change in coffee itself, but the dialogue that we have around it? And podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason that we're doing the what's in your mug um, and these kind of bits early on is Matt just likes having me around. I miss you and I, I love to be around you. But no, for... For real, I think what we're trying to do is put a, a deeper focus on the conversation yes. at hand during the podcast and not, you know, take away from it by going on tangents about what we're doing because yes. we want to hear more about. This is one step toward inevitably just not having me on the podcast because I derail <laughs> it. So. Yeah. <laughs> It's eventually just going to be. Where, so what happened to Kevin? Like a couple of episodes ago. We don't talk ago, about we, that. Yeah, <laughs> X-Nay. He's coming. Um, all right. Well, listen, uh, th the rest is up to you, li dear listener, to go on this beautiful coffee adventure. You can either choose to enjoy this podcast with Bartholomew Jones or you can stop it right now and feel unfulfilled with the rest of your day. Make the right decision. Upstate Coffee Collective Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for having me, yo. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, like I was just saying, I love the Coffee Black Podcast. 
Yeah, I'm glad you dig it, man. It's definitely something we we like doing. And uh, to me, it's like still gives me a little bit of that teacher feeling. Like since I'm not in the classroom anymore, I get to go do research yeah. and be a nerd, you know? Yeah, dude, I didn't know that you had a teacher background until I listened to that. Yeah, both. I, master's and undergrad. Oh, well, undergrad and graduate. And I taught for like eight years. So I was really into it, bro. But I feel like I can make more of the impact I want to make in education uh, through coffee than being kind of I, I feel like I was always playing by somebody else's rules. And um, that didn't really I feel like I was limited in the impact I could have because somebody else just didn't have the bureaucratic space for me to be creative. So coffee is way more receptive to kind of doing what you want and blazing your own trail than a classroom is. <laughs> well, it definitely seems like you're having an impact right now. I mean, Gucci Mane is blowing up. It is, bro. Yeah, it's, it's been a blessing from the Lord, man. So we we just, you know, my grandma always used to say, you know, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can change their life. And I, I, I don't really feel like we have anything to, to brag about. You know, it's just God blessing, you know, the work that he gave us to do. And we're just glad to be able to do the work, you know. That's awesome, man. Uh, well, I'm Kevin. Yeah, what's up, Kevin? This is Matt. Hey, Matt. What's up? What's up, man? Nice to meet you. Um, nice to meet you too, yo. You and I have been. Uh, I've, I've been the one primarily uh, DMing with you on Instagram, trying to, you know, trying to set this up. I'm really glad that we could, you know, pry you away for just, you know, an hour to talk about your story. I'm really, I'm really stoked on what you're doing, and and as you know, as a as a white person, honestly, I'm just really excited to to listen to your story and to you know learn more about how I we can be you know more engaged in the community. Yeah, man, I think that that's been one of the interesting things about this whole um, pandemic is I felt like prior to this, my work was. Well, our work, because it's my wife and I, Renata Henderson, and, and my pen name is Bartholomew Jones, but my actual last name is Henderson, too. So, like, when we when we do the work, my, you know, most of my time is thinking about how can I educate my community about coffee, like my direct community, like neighbors, old students, community institutions. How can I bring more quality coffee there? How can I, like empower our community to to reclaim coffee that's what i think about most of the time so um before the whole pandemic thing you know i had mapped out like maybe 10 or 12 cities and we were going to do a tour and i was going to like meet with the black community in each of those institutions and talk about coffee but you know it's weird because this tra the, the pandemic really has transitioned what we're doing away from going into black communities and bringing coffee to more so talking about history, talking about impact with the white community. And so that's been a big like uh, paradigm switch in my mind, just because of the nature of social media, right? Like a lot of the, I'm, we're just interacting more with the third wave coffee world. Yeah, man. I feel like social media, we, we, we tend to, we tend to shit on it a little bit. Um, but it really came through for us in the pandemic because we were able to create communities that spanned, you know, nations, you know, and, and maybe like the, the concept of you going on, on a tour and, 
and interacting with black communities across, you know, the U.S. and maybe even further than that is exciting. And I'm, I'm sure you guys will get the opportunity to do that one day. But at least we have the Internet to connect with people that way. And in some cases, it may be skip the line a little bit. Yeah, it definitely did, man. Now, I think that the Internet has just been an interesting thing. Like I was really involved with a lot of like racial reconciliation work in like college and stuff and got kind of burned out and and really hyper focused on like man let me just help to repair my own community which is funny when you have conversations like about race a lot of times people ask like you know what about black on black crime or you know what about this or what about that and like you know me and most people in my community are mostly just focused on just that like we're focused on even though I don't think black on black crime exists, it's just proximity crime. Uh, for me, I, w- I spend most of my time like educating kids, like being a teacher. I spend most of my time mentoring people. Hey, don't pull out the gun. Hey, don't go fight right now. Don't do drugs. All of the stereotypical conservative talking points. Like we're just having community conversations, you know, mentoring and, and you know, just teaching life skills and stuff. So that's what, and I really enjoy just being in my community and trying to be like a like a father figure and just trying to be a presence. Um, but now that we are in this world, like I feel like a lot of the conversations that people are having is really about like what's going on. And I think the pandemic has brought a lot of stuff to light. Uh, people are more way, way, way more open to listen than I ever remember. Like the last time I was like really engaged and like, I want to educate white people about blah, blah, blah. Like I was like 21, you know what I mean? Like, and I was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> it just kind of moved on to like just being in my community. And now I feel like the pandemic, the Holy spirit, the mix of a lot of stuff, people are like, Hey man, we want to learn. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> like it's kind of, it's kind of surprising, bro. But it's, it's, I'm trying to shift my mentality to realize people want to hear again. Cause I've been, I spent so much time trying to convince people to listen and being told, no, I don't want to, that I kind of just was like, I guess people just don't want to listen and moved on. You know, oh. it's like, well, yeah. you like that girl in college or high school and you're just trying and trying and trying and you get rejected yep. so many times. Like, well, I'm going to move on with my life. Like I can't, I can't <laughs> stay here forever, you know? So now no. it's a weird, it's a weird thing. So I, I think I, it's a change. And for me, in my family trying to say, okay, now we need to have these conversations again. So it's been kind of cool, man. It's honestly kind of encouraging to see that there is an openness now um, that there wasn't, you know, or that we didn't experience oh, definitely. when we tried to talk about it five or six or eight years ago or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, your roles as a community organizer and a teacher seem to be culminating right now because you're presented with this opportunity to educate the coffee community yeah and you're really grabbing a hold of that man yeah we hope we are man we you know sometimes it feels like we're not doing enough because so much like i told you i miss being in my community and so like i we were doing a photo shoot for like these yellow these like african gold shirts that we dropped and like i ran into yep. a, a bunch of my old students i know in your city they introduced these little like scooters motorized scooters that you can like get on with your not phone. yet okay yeah so where are you guys again <laughs> saratoga springs where is that it's upstate new york oh, wait do y'all listen to griselda i'm sorry that's a random question but i know griselda's from upstate 
Griselda? Griselda. Griselda? Griselda. Yeah, they're like a they're like a new up and coming hip hop group. They do like like nineties drug rap. So it's kind of like very East Coast type beats, but it's like cocaine laced lyrics. Oh. They're they're from Buffalo, I think, and they're like the first group to blow from Buffalo. So that's kind of okay. my only reference point for upstate New York. Okay, well, here's the crazy thing. So Buffalo is like six to seven hours west of us. Wow. Wait, there's more to upstate New York Dude. besides Buffalo? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, New York is a giant fucking state. And, uh, and, and you know, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit, but there is a lot of really great coffee culture, music culture, art culture all across the state. Um, and you're right. Like a lot of people, when they think of New York, they think of the city and then everything north of the city is upstate, right? We are, we're about 45 minutes north of Albany, the capital of, of New York. Um, to give you a reference point, the, the Adirondack park, all the Adirondack mountains are our backyard. Um, we're, it's about 20 minutes north of us on the highway. We are about, if we drive three hours east, we get to Boston. If we drive about two and a half hours south toward the city, <clears throat> excuse me, New York city. Uh, and then, yeah. So like he said, Buffalo is about five hours west of us. How far away is Canada? Uh, three and a half hours north. Not even. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, That's it's, cool, man. we're like, we're right there. It's kind of crazy, but, uh, so yeah, we're a little hub here, but, um, Gosh. So the coffee culture where you guys are is like what? It's good. It's blooming. Um, it's a it's a lot of really great culture from the city that kind of trickled up to us, and then people who grew up in this area also trickled down a little bit of their own style. Um, okay. Yeah, I would say the coffee culture around here is really in tune with the global coffee community. Yeah, the national coffee community, and then our own local coffee community as well. Like we. We knew about Gucci Mane real quick. Wow. Okay. Yeah, man. We had a lot of support from Canada. Um, so I wonder if there's any, could, do y'all have much interaction with like the Canadian coffee community? So we actually will have interaction with Montreal, but I know that Kenny Baker, your roaster was just interviewed on Pass the Brew and that podcast is based out of Toronto, which is just north of like that Buffalo Niagara Falls region. Okay, okay, okay. Wow, man. Well, that's that's I know it's kind of different, you know, maybe we can talk about this, but being in a non premier coffee community or a startup coffee city is kind of like a interesting that at least Memphis, you know, when people think about Tennessee and coffee, they obviously think about Nashville cuz you got barista parlor out there, Sump is there now, you have Crema um, stay golden, um, steadfast. There's like, I've been a lot of, a lot of cool coffee stuff has happened out there. And so mm-hmm. most people don't think about Memphis when they think about coffee, but that was kind of my context for being educated in, in coffee was Memphis. And I think I, I don't think Gucci man would have become what it was. A coffee black would have grew into what it is if we weren't in a city that wasn't a, co- a quote unquote coffee first city. Like, I think we're still a people first city. And so, like, yeah. people take precedence over coffee for most shops. And so, you know, we have a couple of shops that are very intentional about being like, hey, the coffee is the focus of what we're doing. But even then, like, even those shops 
have to find some type of way to be uh, to provide a service for human beings outside of caffeination. Otherwise, people won't mm-hmm. go because it's a, it's a it's a blue collar city. So you don't have like this creative class of people who don't have anything to do all day besides sit on their laptops and take phone calls. You know what I mean? So if you want somebody <laughs> when they get out of the factory, like like the Nike factory or finish working for AutoZone or whatever to come and stop in and grab coffee, like you have to be providing some type of human entanglement to use Jada Smith's words. You know, so like you there has to be some value you're giving beyond the caffeination. And I think that has helped us as we would we'll probably say like we're a people first entity, like we're a social mm-hmm. enterprise first and foremost that wants to use coffee as a means to create generational wealth in our community. So like I, I don't I don't think that would happen in LA. You know, I don't think that would happen in in Seattle. I don't think that would happen in New York. So, have you all seen that human element play out more in you guys' coffee scene? Oh, big time, man! Um, actually, that's kind of what we're all about. Yeah, give <laughs> like that's where we came from. Yeah, we were like, we want to connect our community, so we're the Upstate Coffee Collective. Yeah, and before COVID nineteen hit we were planning to go to all of these different shops and have what we call meetups and educate one another on coffee and talk about what drives us to be passionate about coffee. And I mean, I definitely see a little bit of a mirror image between us and then the idea that drives ethnos coffee for sure. Yeah. No, I think Kenny's whole vision with ethnos is so beautiful, man. And I'm glad that they were the first were really the roasting entity that we connected with. There were like a a couple different options we had when we started, but it was something about Kenny's heart. And I think it was really the fact that my wife co-signed him because like there's not a lot, like my wife can just see bullshit a mile away. And I'll just be like, like I like it, like they're cool. And most people in coffee, like my wife honestly doesn't mess with it because she's like, they're kind of phony. She's a straight shooter. Yeah, man. And I'm a, I'm like, a, you know, I like most people. Most people get along with me. Um, but she was like, I like Kenny and she liked his wife. Their whole family is like they're like family to us. And so like when I saw that and then I saw the, the different parallels between like his relationship with hip hop culture and his relationship with the city of Memphis, it just meant it it, it. it I don't know. I think God just told me it was the right move. You know what I mean? He's a believer too. And yeah. so, like for us, it was like, man, this is this is perfect, and we've been rocking with them at, uh, for a full year at this point, man. It's been beautiful. I. It's funny that you say, like, you guys have the same relationship with hip hop, because the best way that I can phrase, like, how Gucci Mane has blown up, especially this year is that it's like the hot mixtape of the coffee world. Yeah, bro, you know, it is. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> like, I'm going to steal that. I like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think this is kind of, I don't know what God's plan is, but that is kind of what it is. Is like It's like a mixtape in that a mixtape historically was really something for your, like, pr- for your, like, proximal community. You know what I mean? It was something yeah. that you physically have to give it's not something you're going to hear on the radio. It's something right. I'm giving to you and that you're having. What I'm speaking about is like a very like uh, colloquial thing. It's, it's something that is in a very like specific location and it's very local. And so like to, to that conversation we were having with our community is now kind of being like streamed or passed or dubbed around the world like uh samaya out in rwanda who was recently featured in barista magazine she runs 
a collective of farmers. She just got our like care package we sent her for the for the AeroPress giveaway. And like now she has all this gear and coffee black stuff. She got the album. And there she's in Rwanda checking it out. And like that's that just freaks me out sometimes that's when amazing, I think about like dude. you know, we've had orders from Australia, plenty of orders from the UK, Canada, Argentina, Chile, Rwanda. Like it's bananas to see like can't like it's it's everywhere. And this is something that's very specifically Memphis for us to do, specifically black in memphis you know yeah and so to see it happening all it is kind of like a mixtape you know kind of blowing up back in the old dat piff days dude like comeback season premiered on dat piff yeah dude there's so many really dope things that happen on there and like it's it but it does make sense that's kind of like the the vibe that we like everything we do is out of our house or like our mom's house you know we're not doing anything that's we awesome. have giant fact yes yeah, interesting when people email us because i was saying the most most of what I've been doing since, you know, the 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 shirts or whatever went viral or whatever happened with them, mm-hmm. like, um, has been, we've just really been building out our team and building out our back end logistics, trying to, like, narrow yeah. down some products, taking stuff out of the store, creating systems and routines, because now it's not just me and my wife, you know, it's, it's a couple other people that are with us. And we have the, our, our scale is so much bigger, like, we're doing, it's just it's easier to make mistakes. And so I feel like I haven't been able to do the creative and the communal work that I've wanted to do because so much of my mm-hmm. time is like, you put put your like CEO hat on and you're like, well, I'm just going to go figure out systems and buy inventory, which is fine. But I do miss, you know, it's easy to have that feeling of like, am I really doing what we set out to do or am I just caught mm-hmm. up in, you know, figuring out taxes and inventory and blah, blah, blah. What has that transition been like for you? Was that kind of sudden or has it been like a gradual thing? Yeah, I had a very slow growth plan for the year. Like I originally, I, I really wasn't concerned about money at all. Like, cause you know, I, I think in my head as a man, something switched when the school that we helped start closed and I didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I, I had helped to start this uh, performing arts school and I was a performing arts coordinator. It was in the neighborhood my dad grew up in. So like pretty wow. much I was like a rap teacher. Like that's I went into different classrooms and helped students create like hip hop, uh, hip hop assessments, basically, of the information they were learning. Yeah. You had them apply for the scholarship, right? Well, that was actually even before that. So that was when I was oh. still working in well i technically was kind of still in orange mound but i was in orange mound as an english teacher and i was there for four years at sherwood middle school and i left that space to kind of go enter into a more creative opportunity and so we were starting the school but we just didn't have the funding we needed little did we know covid was right around the corner and so our school probably would have had to close at some point anyway um but i, I really feel like you know as i prayed about it a guy was telling me like, man, don't don't go and just take another random teaching job. Like I have something better for you. And I wasn't really sure what that meant, um, especially because there were jobs. There were like sixty thousand dollar teaching jobs that I had offers for. And I had to turn, the, which is a lot of money for as a teacher. And so I was like, I I feel weird turning this down. But I feel like that was really what, you know, Yahweh was telling me. And so I was like, well, OK. And so at that point, I think subconsciously. My friends have told me like something clicked in me when that happened because I knew I had to like pay bills. And so mm-hmm. 
I think I started working harder. But even then, I wasn't thinking about money. Like, you know, we had to do this, like, projection for the year, which is not even my skill set. I'm mostly a creative and an educator and, and, like, an activist. I'm not – and a rapper. Like, I'm not – you know, a money guy, but I had, I've had to become more of one just cause we're making so much at this point. But I was like, I, you know, I thought maybe we make 30 G's this year. I was like, I don't, I don't know. His, we made, we, our biggest month had been like a $2,000 month when I dropped the album. So I was like, okay, well, you oh. know, like, all right, that's the, I multiply that times whatever 10 and then that's our year. And then like, man, we, we doubled or tripled that like in June, you know what I mean? So like, that's yeah it's it's crazy so now I, I, I but what that came with is now we now we had to get way more inventory because when we're doing 1300 orders a month then that's that that means i need way more coffee on hand uh mm-hmm. excuse me that means we need bigger coffee roasters that means we need more bags of coffee that means we <coughs> whoo um we need way more of everything and so now i'm like okay let me order this stuff and then trying to correspond with people when you're trying to get orders in during the middle of a pandemic it was crazy so i've had to switch a lot definitely that's been a like a a weird transition for me but it's been necessary otherwise like we just would have drowned yeah i i wanted to i wanted to touch on that a little more the 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 moment you realized that you you were picking up steam and you had to start scaling your business and you realize you know all right like i know how to i know how to create the the brand for this company i know how to talk to people in my community and get people involved but how do when do i pay taxes how much do i pay in taxes how do i get shipping like what was that process like for you did, did you did you bring somebody in to help you out with it or was it more like you learned online you yeah, know yeah i'm still in the middle of that but i definitely think it's been communal so um, like we just had a phone conversation with my cousin who does a lot of like the, the logistics and strategic planning for my other cousin who's in New York City and she has a company called Harlem Fashion Row and so their company has her company is I think she's been a big inspiration for me like she's been going like 10 years at this point and she's been like sponsored by Gucci by Google by McDonald's by AT&T uh, Amazing. Like Le- LeBron James contracted her company to design uh, the HFR, the LeBron, J- the LBJ HFR 16, which was a shoe he wanted. He dedicated to his mom and to his daughter. So it was a shoe for black women. And he wanted it to be to be designed by black women. So he contacted my cousin's company, Harlem Fashion Row, to like do the designing. And so I had like videos That's on YouTube huge, with her man. and LeBron. It's crazy. So like she regularly <laughs> speaks at Nike and Gucci and like does diversity trainings. And like she's like actually famous um so it's brandis daniels and so like my other cousin crystal does all of like we do all of the uh the strategic planning and stuff in in the family and so i i got to a point with our business where like my cousins reached out to me is like after the the essence essence magazine featured us last week and then we were in barista magazine last week and so they kind of reached out like yo do you need help <laughs> we know you and yeah you maybe a not. little right and i was like yeah so like we're we're gonna bring on some some financial people there have been some entities locally that have kind of helped us um so they have really pushed us with like man like man helping us get funding we're a credit free company so we don't operate off of credit um i love that yeah, it's it annoys me sometimes, honestly, because I'm like, why did I decide to do that? <laughs> uh, yeah, you you like so you like double down on it, right? Like you you were like, we're doing this, and we like you started like 
advertising like yeah we're a credit free company and now you know yeah and now i'm like <laughs> oh i need to buy you know ten thousand pounds of coffee and i don't like that's just enough yeah but it makes us be creative which i like and i think it helps it keeps us honest because people already think we're a way bigger company than we are and so i sure, think yeah. that's that's annoying um <laughs> because it's like no, we actually don't have a logistics team. Like, I don't have a team of people who can go track down your the USPS yeah. package. That yeah, was lost. can I talk to your supervisor? I am the supervisor. This is it, man. No, like, my <laughs> wife was emailing somebody, and I was just telling her, like, that we just got to be honest and tell people, like, we believe the gospel. Like, we're sinners. We don't have this perfect, and our only hope is, is Yeshua. So she just told this lady, like, I, this is my, this is Maurice's wife and i'm doing this after i finish my full-time <laughs> work from home job and like i'm pregnant and we have two kids and i'm sorry that we can't find your package but i will send you another one and if you have any because we get some emails sometimes people are like hey man i'm a, i'm a i'm a business owner and like i really feel like this package shouldn't be lost right now and i just wanted to let you know as a business owner that you need to blah 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 and i'm like yo we want all the advice we can get like we're not like we're educators, <laughs> we're artists, we're creatives who kind of fell into a mm-hmm. business because we were passionate about a cause and I don't believe in nonprofits anymore. And so like that she and she was honest with this person and the person sent us back the most amazing email like, yo, this is so refreshing to actually talk to your human being. Like I understand exactly. No worries. Like, please let me know if there's any way I can help. Um, and I think like the pandemic has everybody really wound up and I, me personally, I'm super annoyed cause I'm trying to figure out what's going on when we drop packages off to the post office and they don't make it. Um, or like they mm-hmm. get lost in train. I don't know. But like, I think in the process of figuring all of this out, like it's just been our community that's really held us together. Like, you know, my cousins, my neighbors, uh, community institutions that have really kind of like banded behind us and, and helped us to kind of like figure out what we're doing, like apply for grants uh, from the government to mm-hmm. kind of build stuff that we don't have to pay back. So that's that's kind of been a big thing for us. You know, it's just our actual community. We started out trying to help them, but I feel like our community helps us more often than not, you know? Yeah, that's real love, man. Yeah, it is. It's real love. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, for real. <laughs> How, obviously the community has been helping you out. You've been helping the community out. Um what are some of the ways that you've been getting out into the community with coffee black? I mean, obviously you have the album that's out now, which is part educational. You're doing the podcast, which is educational. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you're up to that we should know about? It's kind of similar to what you were saying. Um, but we were doing these brew ups, which is kind of what we were going to do a tour with. Um, Mm -hmm. and prior to the brew ups, we were doing these things called on the spots. So it's kind of like a, 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 like a jazz hip hop improvisation session where that's kind of like centered around some type of coffee. So we would like get some coffee, make it, and then um, like just make something on the spot. And that kind of translated to a DJ at a local coffee shop and like inviting the community out and brewing coffee together and making music and also like teaching people about like the history of coffee or different ways to brew it. And so now Mm -hmm. what we're doing right now is we're going to launch this at the end of the month on the 27th, but it's um, a collaboration between the city of Memphis and some Chicago coffee creatives 
and we're going to do a virtual brew up. Um, and so it'll be us, um, John and Kari from Common Cup, and then Melissa from Everybody's Busy in Chicago. And so we're going to do a virtual nice. brew up, which will be kind of like an amalgamation of all these things where we'll have a DJ. Um, everybody will get a bag of Gucci Mane who purchases a ticket. Um, and then in addition to that, they'll be able to get access to the Zoom call and we'll do like a live brewing session slash interview slash podcast slash I'll, I'll perform a song or two. You're going to do that Gucci freestyle? Yeah, I might. I don't know which one I'm going <laughs> to do yet. I'm, me and my DJ start rehearsing this week, so we'll see how that goes. Um, and so then we'll we'll transition from that into a monthly coffee subscription where people can get a bag of Gucci Man delivered every month at the same time, a week before the brew up. And then we'll do the virtual brew up, which will kind of like go through each song in the album. So one a month and talk about the kind of the ideology behind it and then how that would apply uh, to like the coffee scene globally and building generational wealth and kind of different strategies that I'm thinking through. So that's kind of our big endeavor that's happening next is kind of like this virtual coffee brew music making interview session thing. That's really cool. I like that um, people can get a bag of Gucci Mane a week before that happens. Where can they sign up for this? Uh, it's on our website right now. I haven't started publicizing yeah. it yet because we're still getting some back end. But um, yeah, the subscription is there. And then that doesn't start till September though. So, but you can get a ticket to the virtual brew up right now on our website. Awesome. Well, I'm doing that. Do it, man. Yeah, Come through. It's gonna be dope. So, we uh, we we fired right off <clears throat> from the get go, and and uh, usually we cover a couple of you know funny, interesting, but simple questions. Um, we started talking about Gucci Mane, and uh, I figure we could quickly go over what's in your mug, which I assume is a great turning point for us to kind of get into the there it is yeah the the nitty-gritty of guji man you know what what was it about the guji region that you really fell in love with what are the tasting notes that you guys were looking for when you roasted that coffee uh what do you love about it yeah so i i just like i was doing these like so coffee black existed for maybe six months to a year before guji man was a thing we had the idea for guji man maybe four months before we dropped it. And uh, it just came as an idea when we were in the, I was with my DJ, Matt, uh, or my other DJ, Matt, um, and we were doing these on-the-spot sessions and just, you know, brewing coffee, making hip-hop, yep. listening to soul music. And, you know, as we're in this space, we would have to go to a coffee shop to get a bag, generally. And it was kind of a, a dissonant experience because the the kind of coffee culture we were trying to create in this in this studio and project out into the world was very different than the kind of coffee culture we walked into to get the coffee. And Absolutely. so we kind of like, what would it, my DJ was like, yo, what if there was a coffee that was kind of made for the kind of coffee culture we're trying to create, you know, and what if it was called Gucci Man? And so that was just, we were just <laughs> tripping. I was really into Gucci's because I had been making these videos and I had ran across this flash brew at the first third wave shop that opened up in Memphis called Avenue Coffee, which recently closed. Actually, it's really sad. They closed because of COVID. Um, oh, and they, I had like ran into Gucci's that I liked. And, you know, like to me, a traditional Gucci has like this really bright blueberry note, a really kind of like satisfyingly tart 
lemonade note and then mm. some florals, you know, with a decent body on it. And so like yeah. juicy, that's kind of what I thought about when I thought about a Gucci. And so when I had it on ice, everything just went up 10. You know what I sure, mean? Like yeah. I on the flash brew, everything went up 10. And so I was like, yo, this is so dope. So I just had, was really into Gucci's. And anytime I saw one, I would always get a cup. Um, when my guy came up with it, with that phraseology, I was already into it. He said it and it was like, yo, this would be amazing. So when we were looking at Gucci's, I, I had just met Kenny and he had sourced a coffee through a trader who works with um oh man i can't i'm about to forget their name is it omo what is the name of this uh it's not a romo that's a that's an ethnic group um man i can't remember remember the name of the trading company uh, we'll do a gonna, look up yeah it's, it's it's gonna come to me bro i think it starts with an o though um but anyway so he he had this coffee and this coffee was kind of different than most Gucci's because it had a, a the the a similar viscosity but to me it was it was a viscosity that I would expect in like a Colombian coffee so it was like yeah. a little thicker than most Gucci's and then it had this really cool like caramel note which at this point I believe is honestly an effect of the fluid bed roasters that we use um, I think that's a part of it's, it's like part of the way that the, that roaster affects beans because i've traditionally seen that i've just consistently seen it happen even when we're using different origins like there's a sort of uh caramelization and kind of thickness to the coffee when we brew it when it's roasted on air versus like gas and a drum that's my opinion i have no evidence besides anecdotal evidence to prove (laughs) that but i I think that's so and then you mean for like red berry note so we were super in love with that um, coffee. And so we we're like, yo, this should be the first one. And I felt excited because it was a little different than most Gucci's I had. Instead of having a blueberry note, there was a red berry note, which I thought was cool. Totally, um, man. So, yeah, we were into that for a minute, bro. And then, you know, obviously coffee season is finished. And so we transitioned to a washed Sadamo. Um, and so that was really interesting because that had more of like a lavender vibe. Um, and so now we're using a coffee from the Bentinanka region of the Guji zone, uh, also a washed coffee. And like me personally, I get like blackberry, I get kind of like red grape, um, and then I get, uh, you know, tea and um, caramel notes in there too. So for me like that, we really like that coffee. We were cupping we started doing these weekly cuppings a week ago. And so we were cupping and I just like, I'm like, damn, this is a freaking good coffee. Like I just kept, like we were cupping like five or six coffees and we, we had not gotten into like technically cupping. Um, when we originally purchased the coffee, I would generally just brew it and see how it tastes. Um, but mm-hmm. since we've been on the cupping table more recently, I just like this coffee even more. So I got like another four or 500 pounds getting to the house today or tomorrow um so yeah we've been on that super heavy man and i think that's kind of one of the things that i the goal for us is that i want it to be approachable if you're new to coffee so there needs to be some element that you can recognize without having a trained palate and so to me that yep. was obviously a lighter roast so it's not going to be bitter and then also i want there to be some type of uh enjoyableness just from the body that i think you can get mm-hmm. and so like that's really important to us when we cup coffees is like what is the body like um, and then from a nerd, from a nerd, cause I get 
I'm just a coffee nerd. So like we just had like a whoosh whoosh coffee yeah. that I was like super excited about. But I just I realized I could never sell this because like I'm there's nobody I know who's gonna be like, yo, well not nobody. Most people I know, if I tell them the tasting notes are like strawberry rhubarb and mint chocolate ice cream, they're gonna be like, like if I'm introducing coffee to the first time for the first time from an educational <laughs> perspective, I'm like, hey, you wanna try? I'm like, fuck no. What what are you talking about? Like that sounds gross. If you came here and you brought that whoosh whoosh and you started talking about it in our coffee community, people would snatch that. Yeah, dude. And so like coffee nerds, I know are going to. And so we're always trying to meet this balance of like, what is something that's going to be really enjoyable and experience like you can experiment with from a coffee nerd tip, but that's also accessible from a I'm coming off Folgers tip. And so like 100%. The, the, the subscription is actually going to be a solution to kind of a problem that I've just had as a as I'm the primary customer for my company where I drink most of our coffee all day long. So I'm like, <laughs> me personally, I'm bored. I get bored easily, right? And so like I'm like, what is something interesting? How can we introduce an interesting coffee without kind of messing with the educational pedagogical value of having one coffee that's accessible to anybody? Well, to me, that's a subscription, right? So we can do a 12-month subscription where, of course, people are going to get a bag of Gucci Mane, but they can also get coffees that we're excited about and experimenting with, and they get a cup with it. They can give us feedback on the notes, and then if we get enough positive feedback from our subscribers, maybe we introduce it for a limited drop to the public. But the subscribers yeah. would kind of be like um, our A-B testing group for like, hey, we're, we've been playing with this roast. We're, I'm going to order a couple sacks, and you guys let me know what you think. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, we're we're kind of in the same boat where Kevin, uh, Kevin's primary, uh, Kevin's primary goal is to increase the you know kind of like the the top five percent of nerds, right? Like, or I should even just say like the nerdiest nerds to push that envelope up. He really loves to really nerd out on high quality. Yeah, dude, you know it. Whereas, although I love that. I am I am like the I'm the story that you kind of told uh, with approachability where yeah man like I I <laughs> for the for everyone no, what what I'm trying to do is is bring more second wave you know, commodity coffee people into the specialty realm in an approachable way. Cause you ever try to get like your parents to try your, your, you know, your specialty coffee. And they're like, what this, this doesn't taste what, like what I'm used to. And it's like, I know, but give it a, give it a moment. I'm trying to bring more people into the I community. Heard a lot of people before we started doing Gucci main, which we intentionally again, try to make it accessible. But like a, a lot of it, bro was like, you know, people was like, oh, this is sour. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. They, it was fun. They would say it's sour, and they would also say that it's very strong. Um, and so, like, surprising. the third in me would be excited about anything different yeah. at this point. But I have to realize, like, what the consumer's, your average consumer's palate is. And also, most people are drinking watered-down coffee, if we're going to be honest. Like, if you're oh, brewing yeah. a batch brewer... Or if you're doing like just a coffee maker, you're probably drinking really watered down old coffee. And so one, just to transition to fresh ground coffee that has the proper ratio, 
proper. That has like a stronger ratio of 15 to 1, 16 to 1. Yep. Like that's a big switch just by itself. Even if you're using the same, even if you're using the same bean. But then yeah. also like now I'm introducing you to this super light Nordic roasted sump coffee, you know, or this Nordic, you know, like this drop <laughs> coffee or whatever. Like it's it's just gonna be a big switch. So not that that's a bad thing. We want to encourage curiosity, but we want to give people options like taste this, not taste this. Right. You want to meet people halfway, you know? Which one do you like? And right. then just give you more information about what you like and why you like it. I don't know if you if you have heard of this. I actually only recently learned about this, but there's like a large percentage of people who have what's called sour acidic confusion. And what that means is they can't tell the difference between something that is acidic and something that is sour. Whereas sour is like a negative connotation and acidity is is pleasant and it's a good connotation generally. Um, so like even chefs, like a lot of times have trouble with that. It's that that's just a thing I learned recently. That's real, man. And you also just have to train your palate to like different types of culinary like exercises. So like, when you start drinking beer, like I'm really just now getting into IPAs and I've been drinking specialty beer for I don't know, like six years or whatever. But I still hate IPAs. They taste like pine salt to me. So I'm like, I hate <laughs> But I just had an IP, IPA by a black-owned uh, brewery here in the city called Bill Street Brewing Co. And they have an IPA. And it's super juicy. Like, it tastes like pineapple juice to me. And, like, people had always told me that IPAs were, like, fruity. And I only got pine salt. But now I'm drinking this one. And I have one can left. And I've just been like, yo, man, this is actually super juicy, super sweet, super good, mm -hmm. which is di normally I go for like stouts or barrel age stuff or whatever. But so this one to me was like kind of kind of cool. And people started getting me in the sours. It took me a while to get into like sours from a beer, from a craft beer. But like, you know, I think that you it takes time to develop that palate and it takes a willingness to, to kind of be unhappy as a consumer in order just to learn different things. Like, same thing with wine. Like, I you have to take risk and be willing to say, I bought this whole bottle or I bought this whole six-pack or I bought this whole bag of coffee, and I kind of didn't like it. And when you think from a class perspective, most poor people are not going to do that. Like, they're not going to be willing to spend money on a luxury item and then not enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have the money. Oh, yeah. you just I just bought... You know, that's why people go for cheaper, more accessible luxury items, um, especially when you look at like libation, right, or stimulants, mm -hmm. anything that's like a physical stimulant, whether it be alcohol, coffee, drugs, whatever, like you're going to go for what you know is going to stimulate you and not for something that like, well, I, well, I just wasted that, you know, and I, I don't have any more money coming in for another two weeks. So now I have to go two weeks without an escape, you know? Mm-hmm. So like yeah. trying to figure out how to do that is something where it's like, I think as an industry, we have to be more willing to like meet people where they are and also have enough resources ready for people so that when we do meet them, we can give them options. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and spaces to be curious on their own without like us kind of telling them what they're supposed to taste. But that's why we don't have tasting notes on Gucci Mane on the bag. Cause I don't want to tell people what they're supposed to taste. I want you to get it. Oh. I want you to enjoy it. And I want you to develop your own relationship with the coffee on your own of me telling you what you're, because that's like, it's already enough, like anxiety getting into specialty coffee. 
I want people to be able to drink it how they want. If you ask me what I say, like people ask me like, hey, can I have, you know, the transparency information? It's funny. I copy that site see mm-hmm. now. And they were like, hey, do you have any information? And I have like like 12 paragraphs on the coffee that like I personally care about because I'm nerdy about it. Um, but like mm-hmm. I don't want to put all that on the bag because I just want people to know, hey, coffee comes from Africa. That's it. Like that's if you can know that when you get our coffee, that's all I really wanted my community to, to know initially. And then from there, I have like, you know, when we do the brew ups, I always have five or six other roasters there. And so I can introduce them to a bunch of different other coffee companies, a bunch of different other origins. But our job, I feel like, is to kind of reframe what people associate with coffee and blackness, you know? Yeah. Uh, Considering the fact that you want to give people options, but you definitely want to keep that um, mission of letting people know coffee comes from Africa. We're trying to reclaim coffee and create generational wealth. And the name of the company being Gujimane, as you move forward, are you going to stay focused on Ethiopia as a region? So what we, what, that's one of the things we think about. So kind of, our, whoa, our subscribers will be the first people to work through this with us. But my goal right now is to only sell coffee from black farmers. And so as a, part okay. of the educational piece is not just where coffee comes from, but where it went. And so, yes, coffee comes from Ethiopia, but it moved all over the world. And as it did that, there's kind of like a trail of breadcrumbs throughout the diaspora. So, you know, coffee goes to Indonesia, where the indigenous people are there. Well, okay, I'm skipping steps. Mm -hmm. We're making an infographic with a lot of this information. And the the next podcast is kind of going to be dedicated to this. So, but here's where I am right now. So, you know, coffee goes to, is stolen. And that's a whole other conversation because, you know, as as we work with other roasters, people are like, well, there's multiple stories on how coffee gets out of Yemen and Ethiopia. Is it that there was a monk who acquired the seeds and as that monk acquired the seeds from some other monks in a, in a monastery, then they gave it to the Dutch and the, so I'm going off of what the Dutch say about it themselves. Like there's, there was recently a, uh, a, a museum installation in the Netherlands where in the write up on their website about the museum installation, they say, local governments were not in favor of allowing the seed to be exported and grown in other places. So we found a way to get it out. That sounds wow. like death to me. Like if someone says you're not, you are not in faith, this homeowner was not in favor of me taking their TV. So I found a way to get it. And now look at this. We have their flat screen. That doesn't sound like, <laughs> like a mutual exchange. So, but I mean, when you read history, you have to make a choice at the end of the day because we weren't there. And so, um, yeah. like, anyway, so that, that, the, the, from my timeline, the Dutch get the coffee. They're trying to grow it in the Netherlands. The climate is not favorable. Um, and I'm not going to go into all of it because, I mean, that would be a long pot. That's like a whole podcast worth of information. But yeah. Once they get to um, once they get to the to Indonesia in like in the 1690s, they start they start the first coffee plantation there, and so that is why most people initially refer to coffee as Java because it was in the Java region of Ethiopia that coffee was first. Excuse me, of Indonesia, the coffee was first cultivated mm-hmm. outside of Africa, and so at that point, then. 
this is where I'm still researching, but it seems like this is where other countries start to get access, other colonizing countries get access to the plant in order to cultivate coffee plantations in the Caribbean, in Brazil, and in Central America. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, as you move to the rest of Africa, Kenya, Rwanda, you know, like coffee is not indigenous to those regions necessarily, um, but it was introduced to the population primarily through colonization. So, like, that's a I, I I dream of being able to like literally people can taste the diaspora like they can like okay I'm gonna start with Gujimane and then I move to coffee from from Indonesia and then I get coffee from the Caribbean and then I get like a natural Brazil or pup natural Brazilian Yo. and then I get coffee from an Afro Colombian family or Afro Afro Latino family in Colombia. And then, like, I would love for people to be able to work through that, right? The the and I could like t- to be honest, yeah. we could do we could do that right now. We could like serve a Kenyan coffee, Rwanda coffee, Colombian coffee, Brazilian coffee, mm-hmm. Indonesian coffee. My issue is that if we were to do that, I feel like I will be moving in a direction as a company that is disingenuous to probably the biggest issue that I see, which is how coffee is is sold and bought. And so it normally happens without the elevation of the people who are growing it. Um, And so we're working on direct trade relationships. And so because they're relationships, it's just not as easy as me going to cafe imports and just finding a bomb, like a 95 point coffee and just buying it and selling it. Like it's kind of us doing the work of like reaching out to people, going back and forth, talking to them about what they need. Honestly, scale also, like just a lot of farmers also are letting us know, like, and this is shout out to Mayorga for educating us on this, but they're just like, yo, to be honest, we don't need you to buy five sacks. Like, we just don't. Like, we don't need you to buy five sacks. We don't need you to buy 10 sacks. We need need you to fill a container. We need you to buy a whole whole harvest worth of coffee from us. Like, that makes more sense than just, like, Mm -hmm. buying half a pallet or buying a pallet. And so as I look at that, that's very humbling because, like, I feel like if I want to tell this story truthfully before we expand to other coffees, I need to look at how much coffee or how much sustainability can I offer to these other black populations that I want to do business with? Like, I could grab coffee that's bought through a third party and slap their picture on the Internet and I can do that really easily. But I'm just and that there's no shade to anyone who does do that. Because as I'm saying, trying to do this is very, it's been very difficult. Like it's been like, mm-hmm. especially when we don't use credit. <laughs> it's like, okay, how many t-shirts yeah. do I need to sell in order to finance buying uh, a container? So, and it's also building relationships with other people who have way more capital. So Mayorga mm-hmm. um, is in the middle of helping us build a direct trade relationships for Gujimane. So like building a direct trade relationship with Ethiopian people with for specifically for Gujimane that doesn't use a third party importer. But we've been working with them for like a month on that. And so they we actually are like we've been cupping wow. one of the coffees we've been cuffing is a coffee from the Walichu uh Wachu region of the of the like a Romeo Guji zone. And so we've been cupping that and we we like we're at this point now we're like man I don't think we really like this coffee that much. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we're coming here for like three, four weeks. And um, mm-hmm. we, I think we have it dialed in, but it's like at this point, I'm like, I after drinking it this many times, like I, I think I want to keep looking. And they just reached out to us and said, 
even that relationship wouldn't be as direct as we want. And so they they thought about just saying like, hey man, let, well let's just get you directly in contact with like a farming collective. And so um, yeah, it just takes time. And so I think I'm trying, yeah. I'm learning to be patient as um, as a coffee company. And I think in third wave, that kind of patience is not. Uh, I don't want to say it's not normal, but I think a lot of people like to tell you what they're doing for farmers without doing things for farmers. And so like, it's easy for me to like go to my importer. Like right now we have pictures from the farm that are from the farming collective that, that our coffee comes from, but I'm not going to post them. Like I'm not, because to me that's disingenuous. I don't actually know those people. Yeah. And so I don't want to use a picture of them that somebody else took for me to sell my coffee without actually building a relationship with those families and like again, this is no shade to anybody who does that because again, this is not an easy thing. There's not you're we're doing business across continents. It's not there's no easy way to do this. Um, but for me, it's just a principal thing, and that I know how, what my business does is going to be the model for how my community thinks about how to do coffee. And so I think it's worth me taking the time and worth us taking the time to do it in a way that's hyper. Um, integral and that has a lot of integrity probably too much integrity just so by the time it makes it to the third or fourth or fifth person that we teach how to do this there's like room for error you know what i mean yo too much integrity is the quote yeah (laughs) that's that's awesome man no that came from your heart like yeah like you're like i have i want to have so much integrity i want to be so integral in this business that when my community looks at it, they see that not only did I do a service to other people, but I did it at the risk of possibly doing a disservice to myself for the sake of changing the future. Yeah, bro. Like we don't want to be like, I just think that it's, it's going to take all of us taking an L so that together we can build a legacy. You know what I mean? Like you have the week, like where it's going to take a lot of L's to flip those L's into a legacy. But I think like, we have to be willing to take that that cut in business or in profit in order to actually do good. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I think that that's like literally that's what had to happen with slavery is like you had to stop getting all this free profit and all yeah. this free labor in order to say we're just going to take this financial loss because it's not worth the evil that this that this profit gives us. And we're still operating in the same system and tradition. And so even if we're saying, I don't want to take, like, even if we're not having to say, okay, cool, do I need to like get slave labor in order to help my business profit? You still have to ask, like, do I want to work with businesses that like have sweatshops? We still have to say, do I want to work with businesses that operate off of neo-colonial models that look a lot like sharecropping? (laughs) Do I want to work with businesses that are selling the images of people or do I as a business want to pimp the images of like the the kind of poverty porn images of people in order to like give my business a certain aesthetic? Like that's a choice we all have to make. This is truly where capitalism and and human like. I don't, I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, yeah. this is where capitalism and humanity come at odds, right? Where the, the entire, the, like, 
the the system that our country is based off of is unending economic growth at no cost um, other than laws, which, as we all know, are very easily manipulated and bent. Oh, right? yeah, bro. Um, I mean, Trump is a perfect example, right? Like, yeah, I think he's on record of saying, like, if you can get around it, do it. I can't remember the exact quote, but he was talking about tax evasion or cooking. the. Oh, book. yeah. And he's just going like and that's not even Trump as a as he's the bad guy right now. This is Trump as just being honest about how business works. Oh, in yeah. America, in business, if you're in a Fortune 500 company, you're intentionally doing anything you can to increase your margins. Yes. And you you're not going to just sit here and say, well, it's the law. So I get if you can find a way around it or pay somebody off or, you know, participate in a super PAC or whatever you need to do or move your business offshore to a different country that has different you're going to do it. If if you um, you you were talking about how everybody has to take an L in order for the the, the goodness of of the group <laughs> to to increase, right, to, to bring up the bottom floor, if you will. Um, a lot of people would stop you right there, especially, you know, proud Americans, quote unquote, would would, would I shouldn't even say quote unquote, because, of course, they're Americans. But I just sometimes I have this disdain for people who look at that and say communism. Right. They immediately go, you're a communist. No, I think that we live in a time now where we can start to see that we have a collective wealth that is far superior to anything that has ever been seen on planet Earth. And for everybody, like for business owners to start from the ground, right, and say, what is the ceiling for our company? How big do we want to get before we can start saying that's we can start improving right? people's lives? Right. That's just that's just conscientious capitalism. Yeah. Like that's just saying capitalism is not my ultimate because I'm a, I'm a believer in Yeshua. I would say capitalism is not my idol. It's not right. my God. And that like I have a set of standards and beliefs and principles that supersede profit. 100%. Like, there are certain things I won't do to make profit because those set of values are more integral to who I am. And personally, I also believe mm-hmm. to my company's profit. I believe that if I move outside of certain principles, God won't bless my business. Mm-hmm. That's what I I personally now everybody's not going to believe that because you know people have their own faith walks, but I personally believe because my my church has been reading through the book of Leviticus, and like as you, as you if you're a believer you read through this book there are several laws set in place. One just for example, one of the things that Yeshua instructed the people of Israel to well not Yeshua Yahweh instructed the people of Israel to do was to leave the edges of every field unpicked. So when you have an har- a harvest, when you have a crop that you grow, like grain, for instance, most people are saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to harvest all of it because that's my profit, right? I sell that, I eat that. He said, leave the edges unpicked so that the poor can glean, which means if you translate that into a business, you don't use all your profit. You actually dedicate a portion of your profit for people in your community who don't have access to funds to be able to get money or resources mm-hmm. or training. That's not a practice or a principle that makes sense to Western capitalism. Why wouldn't you maximize profit? Why wouldn't you maximize margin? Well, because I simply believe that's evil. I don't think that's righteous. I think that's unrighteous to do based on my, not, you don't have to believe that. Nobody else has to believe that. That's what we believe. And I would say I've seen when 
what it does is it puts a check on your greed, right? It, it puts a check on mm-hmm. what we're naturally inclined to do, which is to continue to maximize and maximize and maximize until the Marxist critique of capitalism is true and you become a vampire. You become a bloodsucker and that you're draining people's life force, right? So for mm-hmm. me, when people say, oh, well, you know, we're <laughs> why should some people take an L <laughs> so that so that the, the the whole overall um group can can do well and to me personally i would say well i you would probably have to ask the founding fathers and the slave uh the slave masters why they thought it was worth it for a whole group of people to take an L <laughs> <laughs> you would probably have to ask the people who moved across america and took all this land from native americans why they thought it was okay for a whole group of people to take an L so that everyone, quote, like I just saw there was this quote from a congressman who said that slavery was a necessary evil for the country to get where it is. And to me, what you're doing when you do that is you're forcing people to take an L so that a larger group of people can do well. What I'm proposing in our business is that people voluntarily, out of their own heart, make a choice. I'm not telling people how much they should, what their margin should be. I'm not telling people how much. But what I am saying is because if my business is going to be the first business to take these biblical principles or be a business in coffee to take these principles and try to apply them to our to our actual business, then I have to be I have to have too much integrity. I have to be hyper integral. Right. Like uh, um, because whatever people are going to look at what we do and say, oh, okay, they did that. Well, I'll just do this. So if they're going to say, I just do this in response to what we do, I want the margin for error to be larger so that we're, mm-hmm. pr- we're, we're creating a pathway or a business strategy that is still going to do good on the fourth or fifth or sixth version of it that somebody else is building. And this is just a choice we're making. Like, I'm not saying everyone has to do it, but I do think everyone has to deal with the consequences and honestly deal with the consequences of the way we do business. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think you can get away from that. Like anybody, the way our businesses do businesses, we're responsible for that. So for me, I would rather be responsible and make a make a choice I feel comfortable with on the front end and that I can be proud of and that yep. my grandchildren can be proud of on the front end as opposed to profit, 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 profit. And then four generations down the line, my, my grandchildren are having to like apologize to some people group of people and maybe we will like maybe the place where we get our bags from is like really evil i don't know but like i'm i'm (laughs) trying the best that i can so that way i feel like you know we leave a legacy that that can like continue to do good well yeah you're you're working toward profit but you're putting dignity over profit profits short term dignity is long term yeah and to me people are a greater again this is one of those like faith-based beliefs but to me, people investing in people has a greater ROI than investing in products. And so if I invest in the mm-hmm. people in my community and I invest in training them, educating them, dignifying them, empowering them, to me, that has a greater return long term than me simply finding products as cheap as possible and trying to sell them for as much as possible. To me, 100%. that has that has that gives our business more stability. It gives the structures of our business again more integrity. And in that when things happen, when pandemics happen, when you know we have a terrible year and we're in the red, we have people who are committed to what we're doing beyond the money. 
and they're committed to what we're doing because they believe in the mission and we're creating a community of people and we're creating a movement. So that's just kind of, I don't know, this is, this, those are our beliefs, you know? But preaching your truth is, is, you know, one of the greatest goods that you can do, right? Um, and just, I mean, my, my silence was only a moment of reflection. I mean, there's, I, there's so many things, so many decisions that we make, even as a very small business that we are, we, we feature coffee roasters on our online website. And, you know, right now we're just starting to kind of move a little bit. We're starting to, you know, gain a little bit of momentum, which is great, but you know, every decision that we've made comes with some sort of a consequence, whether it's financial or ethical or whatever. I mean, from the plastic that lines our coffee bags to the paper that we write our information cards on, you know, everything, everything you can always do a little better. And instead of investing, you know, your extra profits into your shareholders pockets necessarily, you could as shareholders or as owners decide we can invest those profits in recycled paper for you know recycled cardboard you know and and it's you know just a marginal increase in our in our costs but it overall makes a difference generations down the line those are the types of decisions that you have to make as a business owner every day yeah um, I'm inspired already. You know, I've got a lot of reflecting to do even after this conversation. You know, I, these are the types of conversations that spark that um, that need for like self-reflection and like, how can I be better? How can I be better? Um, yeah, man. I, yeah, thank you for that, man. Yeah. Of course, man. Yeah, no, I'm just sharing with you. Like I said, these are things that I'm getting when I read the scriptures. So I didn't make those ideas up. <laughs> I'm just trying to implement them. You're just a conduit. Yeah, you know? no, I'm not. And I'm just, I don't even think I'm implementing them well because, like I said, I'm not a money guy. I'm a principle guy. And so for me, like the principle and the concept is something that inspires me. And um, then, you know, my family is honestly helping me get better. My wife, uh, my cousins, you know, they're helping me get better with like actually cooking our books. And look, I just make a decision on if we're going to buy something or not. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's that's where my decision is. And so my decision is just, I don't want to start building a business that that's dependent on me having seven different coffees when I can't when I feel like I'm still seeking to be faithful or righteous with one coffee. Like I, I'm still seeking to, and it's not really how the, like the coffee would taste great because Kenny's a great roaster and we know a lot of great importers. But when I look at the issues or the problems with the industry as a whole, I'm like. I don't think I can, once I figure out how to really do something I'm proud of as far as a sourcing tip with one coffee and from a relational tip and like mm-hmm. investing in a whole community with one coffee, then I feel good multiplying it and okay, let's reach out to another community. But I don't want to start building a business that's really forcing me to kind of glaze over and just grab some pictures of these communities when I'm not really actually invested or representing those communities. And to me, also, mm-hmm. I want my community to know that community. And so then that's another random thing that, you know, we've already gone for a long time, so we don't have to get into it. But, like, I'm really passionate about Black people from my neighborhood and from my city meeting Black families and entrepreneurs who are growing coffee and then us building businesses together and, and across mm-hmm. the diaspora and, and investing yeah. in each other, buying inventory from each other. Um, and I think that's a great way also as Americans for us to use our money and the access and privilege we have 
in a way that it, like yeah i probably could buy it cheaper from like a commodity grade situation or from some factory somewhere but like, if i can do intentional business i think it gives us a better product and i think it gives us a better footprint as far as like the type of world we're creating and the type of ecosystem we're a part of yeah well i mean that's that's beautiful man using access and privilege to create a better footprint together yeah bro and it's like and do and doing it in a way that's not demeaning or making people feel like they're receiving a handout we're doing business together you know i'm not over here as like the you know, the American black guy with like, you know, all the stereotypical like American things that people like, you know, because when a lot of times when Americans, black Americans go to other places, people still assume the only thing they know from us is hip hop. And so they're assuming, oh, you guys have lots of money. We don't like, you know, I'm you got I'm trying to figure out how we got to pay the light bill this month. But <laughs> I think even in that, just having dollars and being having my wealth or having our income yeah. in dollars and a lot of times does give us a lot more access to other economies. And so like, how can I spend that money in a way that is going to do the most good and be the most sustainable? Like it's not just a handout I'm giving somebody, but it's investing in another business that in long term can come back and reinvest in us. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so like the, that's how I think the whole world gets better in my opinion, you know, it's just like, I agree with you, man, sustainable systems and not just, Hey, I'm dropping off 15 bags of rice and, you know, not (laughs) actually investing in you all being able to grow your own rice, you know? Yeah, dude, that's, that's a really admirable example. Admirable example. (laughs) Um, I had a bunch of questions pop into my mind while you were talking, but honestly, they all lead into different discussions (laughs) and I'm super humbled by everything that you just said. So I think we would be doing this conversation a disservice if we were to branch out anywhere else. I feel you, bro. I feel you. Yeah, man. Um, Thank y'all for having me, man. Dude, thanks for being on. We got one last question for you. What's up? What's up? What's your jam? What's an artist or a song that you've been digging yeah, a I've lot. been listening to recently is by Aha Gazelle and Star Ringo and songs called No Limit. Um, and I just okay. have been listening to that a lot recently. Um, it's, it's been a big, a big, a big motivational piece. Like I kind of my my musical tastes are weird in that I kind of oscillate between aspirational, inspirational Southern rap and like really uh, esoteric um aesthetic jazz and like soul music mm. <laughs> and so like mm-hmm. it, it'll be like this like we these like like people like terrence martin and robert glasper thundercat Love like these kind of like all yeah. those artsy guys you know alex alex isley those type of artists yep. and then I'll, I'll switch and then my brain will be on like you know three six mafia and <laughs> yo Gotti and uh kodak black and like a lot of really southern, southern southern people um and to me it's, it's kind of like i'm in i think in my music personally and in my business and just whatever we create i'm trying to bridge these two worlds between like this kind of like magical dreams dreamscape that you get with jazz and this very hyper realistic reality of like being black and poor and so like to me i want to create in the in the in the tension of those things and so that's kind of yeah. what Coffee Black is seeking to do as a business. 
Um, and that's what, you know, Bartholomew Jones is the music I make is trying to create the soundtrack for that. Um, dude, that music is great by the way. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate it. So like, that's kind of like my inspiration. And so recently I've been on the like more hyper-realistic, super honest, super, um, you know, super truthful kind of Southern music. And, um, I, it's a good wake up call a lot of times for me about just what, what is, what the world is actually like what the consequences mm-hmm. of my actions actually are. Like when I listen to that type of jazz, a lot of times I feel like I have like superpowers, <laughs> especially Robert Glasper, bro. It's just, <laughs> it's beautiful music. But then when I listen to like, Aha Gazelle and Star Ringo, um, mm-hmm. it's just honesty. And it makes me be look at myself and look at my reality and be like, if I don't get up and do some shit, like nothing is going to get better. And so I had to, I actually have to be an active person and I have to be an active you know, um, member or agent in my, in my, in my first, in my personal life, secondly, in my, like in my family life and then community and so on and so forth. So that's what I've been on recently. That's why I've been in the yard so much is like just trying to make improvements on my own home and, you know, on our own life. Yeah. Yeah. You built a swing yesterday, right? Yeah. We built like a little fort for the kids. We still got one more step to go. I bought a bunch of like landscaping stuff and got like a mosquito problem. So I, but anyway, oh, that's kind of where I am right now. Which is <laughs> on some, like, I want to fix stuff. Like actually not just talk about fixing stuff, not just tell like pontificate on a pie on my, like, Oh, we should yep. all, you know, I want to actually feel, look at myself and say, I did that. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. kind of what I'm and And, and there's something about like Southern rap to me that makes me actually have to do something, you know what I mean? And not just, yeah just think or dream or you know play chords about it <laughs> i feel like you're about to go do that right now right after we're done with this <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm literally <laughs> thinking about the rest of the, the rest of the swing that's left i'm like i gotta go fix that well dude man i hope you get that up quick i hope it's beautiful and that your kids love it thanks for coming on the podcast appreciate you man dude we gotta have you back on sometime for sure yo for sure Let, let's let's get it let's lock it down Stay tuned to hear what we're sipping on and to hear a track by Bartholomew Jones called Black Like Me. Thanks for listening to this enlightening episode of the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast with Bartholomew Jones. So great. My God, right? He's the man. I know. Dude, he's... too much integrity is what I got away from that. Unbelievable. Seriously, yeah. the dude is integral. You know, I didn't really know how that conversation was going to go. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, like he has he has so much information and coming from that educator background, you don't know, like you didn't know if we were going to get into the history of coffee or if we were going to talk about companies. Yeah. And it turns out that we were able to talk about his company's mission more than we were the history of coffee, which is something that he's been personally focusing on and maybe something that we'll have him back on to talk about. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have to have him back on to talk about that. I know I'll sure. definitely be tuning into his podcast to learn more about that. It looks like they're creating, like he was saying, an infographic of some sort. Oh, yeah, they're working on an infographic of the diaspora yeah. and coffee, how they both spread. Because, I mean, they start, they're start three years apart. He's said it a few times on his podcast, the Coffee Black podcast. Yeah. But... 1616 is when the Dutch supposedly stole coffee from Africa right. and tried to start growing it on their own. 1619, the first slaves touched down in Jamestown. Whoa. Yeah. Real close time frame there.
Hey, Kevin, what's your, uh, what's your jam? Oh, dude, my jam. On the way over here, uh, actually, I was listening to Luigi. He's like this French hip-hop artist that mm-hmm. I've been super into, and he's got this really dope song called uh, Neon Rouge. Two hours of French every morning? Still. Completely French? Completely. Love it. It's brutal, but I swear to God, this time next year, you're going to be like, so Kev's like living in Montreal now. We <laughs> we don't know what happened. Yeah. Um, my jam is... So I'm late to the game on this, but you introduced me to Amine about oh. six months ago. And yep. he's just... Oh, dude, he's so fun. Like there's mm-hmm. not... I mean, it's just good times. With I'll Amine. take responsibility for that. I made you late to the game because I didn't show him to you sooner. That's, That's my bad. true. That's my bad. All right, yeah. Yeah. So, what song? Any song in particular? Uh, hmm. I mean, I've been going through a lot of their, or I should say, I, I've been going through a lot of his his hits, right? So yeah. Reel It In. Um, Red Mercedes. Red Mercedes. Caroline. Oh, Caroline. Such All a good them. track. Spice Girl. But, um, I Need a Spice Girl. Yeah. Uh, the whole, what's that record? It's it's Yellow on the yellow. cover. Is it literally called Yellow? I think it's called Yellow. I don't know. Mm. I don't know, man. I like it. Hold on. Let's look yeah, it up. Yeah, pull it up. I don't even want a future math uh, this, me. dude. Nay. I got my phone right here. Uh, like, pull it up or... I think the... Good for you. Good for you. He's sitting on the Good toilet. Good for you. Yeah. Sitting on a blue toilet. Yep. Good old Amine. So Good that's what I'm you. jamming on. Yeah. That's a dope jam. Uh, Well, speaking of jams... Bartholomew was so nice as to let us play a song of his off of his Coffee Black record at the end of this podcast. And the song that you're going to hear right now, I'm not going to say exclusively because you can listen to it anywhere. You can listen to it anywhere, yeah. (laughs) But the song that you're going to hear right now is, uh, you're actually, you're going to hear Black Like Me by Bartholomew Jones off of his album, Coffee Black. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Stay black just like me. Don't need no sugar, don't need no cream. Coffee stay black just like me. Coffee stay black just like me. Don't need no sugar, don't need no cream. Coffee stay black just like me. Magic touched by vibranium. The coffee come from Kim and this limitless like our cranium curls. Our babies ain't no baby. Jesus gave me my favorite nose. Cup in my covers, beauties. 
they got a lot with the ghost. I got a lot of their heart. I got a lot for the cocoa butter to cover, so I thank them for those. Uh huh. Pumping the hemoglobin, they told me we black like evil, so I had to stack they devils. I'm devils, I come with elbows and levels. I shut they stables to make sure that they never come back with that. And then I tell them to get the cup of that black and cheap. Call me stay black, just like me. Don't need no sugar, don't need no cream. Coffee stay black, just like me. Coffee stay black, just like me. Don't need no sugar, don't need no cream. Coffee stay black, just like me. Coffee stay black, just like me. 